So having a system that enables you to translate rapidly, and we're using the term now one press or one touch scenario planning, that's really important for organizations. It doesn't mean to say we have to make the decision right now, but the opportunity to deal with multiple futures around the areas of the plan that are going to impact us most if there's variation that is really important to organizations. I think it's a constant or the knowledge that there is more and more change coming into your company and that having robust processes set up coupled with newest technologies really gives you the competitive advantage your company might need in an ever-changing and ever-challenging market. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name is Sinto and I'm a marketer, blogger and supply chain podcaster here at SAP. In today's episode, I have two absolute rock stars on the subject of IBP, Integrated Business Planning, as my guests, Anna Linden from SAP and Stuart Harmon from Oliver White. We will be talking about how integrated business planning can give companies the kick they need to really take off and become disruptive. Buckle up, it's going to be very, very exciting. But first of all, I would like to welcome Anna and Stuart and thank you for being on our show today. Anna, could you please take a moment to introduce yourself and give some insights into your role? Sure. So the name is Anna Linden. I work for um, SAP in Germany. And uh, one of my key roles is to lead the solution management globally for supply chain planning solutions. So we're responsible in my team to define the strategy, the vision, but then also bring the innovations that SAP is developing in that space to the market. We're in between a lot of different roles that might be you known like product management, sales, and also consulting. Thank you so much. Stuart, what about you? I'm uh, Stuart Harmon. I'm one of the managing partners with Olive White Asia Pacific. I'm based in Australia. I think I have one of the best jobs in the world. I get to spend my time helping lots of really cool companies and really cool people improve the way they do things, improve the way they plan, and, and get better outcomes as a result. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the introductions. So the business environment is constantly evolving and companies need to adapt to remain competitive while aligning customer expectations with shareholder objectives. One way to achieve this is to move from sales and operations planning to integrated business planning. So sales and operations planning is a planning process that aims to align sales, marketing, operations with the overall business strategy, like we have seen it in the last couple of 20, 30, 40 years, right? But again, as business need more than just insights to stay ahead, they require the ability to effectively plan, adapt, and react quickly to shifting market dynamics and internal constraints. Well, this demands a sophisticated planning system that integrates various business functions and provides real-time data and analytics. And here, IBP, or Integrated Business Planning, is actually coming into place. So what exactly is integrated business planning and how does this help? So if I talk about the process, integrated business planning, you're right, it's evolved from sales and operations planning or SNOP. The Olive White organization pioneered that with a couple of clients in the early 1980s. So the, you know, the base process has been around for 40 years now and it's evolved over time. And sometime around when I joined Oliver White, which was the early 2000s, we renamed the process integrated business planning because it evolved from demand supply balancing into an holistic whole of business planning process. So the intent is it's an aggregate planning process. It's, it's not detail. It's a medium to long-term planning horizon. So typically 
month four out to a rolling 36 months. And it's intended to act as a check and correct process. So check in on the functional plans in any organization, check for what's changed, understand whether that's created any misalignment, realign the plan so the companies or the organizations is all heading in the same direction, and then understand, have we got any gaps between our latest plan and the commitments we've made, our annual plan, our strategic goals and objectives? If we have, then we need to take some action. So it's sort of a course correct type of process. So it's been around a long time. It's evolved. And the leading organizations, the leading exponents really get great benefits in terms of making their business proactive. And actually, you know, we've got lots of research that says if you do it well, you generally get ahead of your competition. Yeah, that's true. So when we're looking at this from a software vendor perspective, which SAP is, right, we have used the concepts that were just described by Stuart and really kind of try to enable them, our customers technology-wise, to run these business processes, right? IBP is really a process or a concept, a methodology around it. But in a modern world, there's a lot of digital data. There's a lot of need to have a technology platform and a planning platform that enables you to bring these methodologies and these processes into real life to really plan, compute a plan that can then also be used globally with your company. And 10 years ago, roughly, SAP has brought a solution to the market called SAP Integrated Business Planning. So that's kind of where the name is already indicating what's it doing and what our idea also was really to support customers and the entirety across bringing integrated business planning as a process into their company and provide the technology, the modeling, the data, the intelligence on top to really run these processes also in a modern world with modern data. So integrated business planning, it's a process in the modern world. Stuart, where do you see a lot of your customers on the IBP maturity scale? Do you think that the pandemic have an impact and accelerated maturity, like the IBP maturity, or did it slow down the transformation? That's a really great question. We saw a lot more interest or, or building interest because one of the things that an effective integrated business planning process uh, creates in an organization is capability around scenario planning. So it's not just about having a single plan. It's about being proactive and understanding where the forward plan has got some uncertainties associated with it and having a plan B and a plan C that's ready to go so you can respond to change. So you know, the pandemic's the biggest thing I've seen in my career prompted that need for scenario planning. The converse, however, is what we saw was lots of senior executive teams are rolling up their sleeves and getting involved in lots of detail. And, you know, there's integrated businesses planning is one level of planning in an organization, right? You can't run a business with IBP alone. You need to the execution level. And we've seen too many senior teams getting into the execution level and sort of leaving the link to strategy, the operationalizing of strategy to sort of after hours and homework. So uh, on the one hand, the pandemic was a, a real prompter. On the other hand, it slowed some organizations down. What we do know is that our clients that had an effective process told us, well, we don't know how we would have survived or how we would have managed if we hadn't had integrated business planning to align the organization around that single operating plan. Yeah, I think we have seen the same from our perspective. A lot of companies who had a well-defined, well-running process, I mean, they still had challenges. There was still a fire drilling, let's face it, right? 
but they did manage much better than other companies who were still very low on the maturity curve or just started to really think about how to run integrated business planning processes or even an SNOP process, right, as in sales and operations alignment. So that was a game changer. And I think that's also where a lot of the management teams realize that there is competitive advantage in defining well-working business processes in supply chain, right? So there was quite the focus on supply chain in the 2000s, right? Then it kind of got a little slower, you know, everyone had done something and was kind of working. But in the pandemic, we saw quite the shift and quite the focus suddenly on supply chain as a threat to company, right? But then also as a, a competitive advantage that people realized they might have or might not have depending on where they are on the on the maturity curve here. Hmm. Actually, a chance for the companies to show that they are capable to deal with all these challenges, right? And I think it's worthwhile calling out that a lot of people associate SNOP or IVP with supply chain. Our view at Oliver White is a holistic whole of business process. And I've been doing this long enough now to see the curves. So we've been in a bit of a cost out sort of environment. Because of inflation, everyone's been looking to uh, reduce costs. Heavy focus on supply chain because of those disruptions we saw during the pandemic. But supply chain won't grow your business. It will enable growth, but we're looking to the portfolio plan. We're looking to marketing. So different things have different emphasis depending on which part of the cycle we're in. IBP is really about bringing all those elements together. So we've got that holistic whole of business plan. That's a good call out. So where do you see the first spark of interest when it comes to a transformation here? Is it in supply chain? Is it in marketing, sales? So who's giving the first kick here? So traditionally, it's been supply chain because in our world, you know, the Olive White organization pioneered MRP and MRP2. And so we've got a heavy history in that space. We're increasingly seeing the finance community interested and driving the transformation, less so sales and marketing. Although I think that the last 12 months, we've seen an increase in interest around the, the portfolio piece and understanding, do we have sufficiency enough in our future portfolio? And generally, if we, we don't see sufficiency there, if we're not going to deliver the strategy, that's our prompt to then change the portfolio. And the portfolio management review or the product management review is a first step in a traditional five-step IBP process. Can you elaborate these five-step process a little bit more? How, yes. how does it look like? Yeah, so if we think about the three constituent plans or three core plans that any organization needs to have in place, we need to have our plan for what we're going to offer to the market. That's our portfolio. Portfolio of products can be portfolio of services. So the first plan we check in on in the monthly cycle is that plan for the portfolio. What are we going to delete? What are we going to introduce? How is the portfolio behaving? Is it providing sufficient value to the customer, the consumer, and to our organization? for us to win, however we've defined winning. Second step in the process is understanding the demand for the products and services in that portfolio out across the, the medium to long-term planning horizon. And that needs to be linked with our activities to stimulate demand. So those, um, if you think about the five Ps, which we, we get taught about at university from a marketing perspective, we've got the product P. We look at that one in the product management review. The other four Ps, they're levers we're pulling to stimulate demand. We can understand the impact of pulling those levers in the demand review. And from that step, we're going to create our unconstrained view of demand going out into the future. When I say unconstrained, I mean unconstrained from the perspective of supply. So the third core process is understanding how we're going to provide those products and or services 
at the time we intend to sell them based on the demand plan. And so those are the three constituent elements. Then we check in on the alignment between those. We have a process we call integrated reconciliation, which for me is really where the magic happens in IBP. And that's the, the constant realignment of the plans, checking in on what's changed. I describe this to my clients a bit like a sushi train. So if you go to a Japanese restaurant, we have lots of those in Sydney, they'll often have a conveyor belt running around the room and you can take off plates of really, uh, really delicious food. Think about the integrated reconciliation process in IBP as a conveyor belt on which we're putting issues that need to be resolved by collaborating between the functions of the business and ensure that we've realigned our plans so we're all heading in the same direction and also dealing with any issues where we've identified gaps between the commitments we've made, annual operating plan or budget and the strategic goals. And you know, we have a, a little team working on that constantly. We check in on the new plan in the fourth meeting in the process called the reconciliation review. And there we separate out the interesting information that's arisen in the planning cycle this month to leave the important information that's worthy of taking the time of the leadership team because the fifth step in the process, the fifth meeting, is the management business review. And this is where the lead team are effectively checking in on the progress of the organization, the forward view, and determining, do we need to make any decisions to course correct? So we want to make sure that they're seeing the 20% that drives the 80%. Pareto's law is a, it's alive and well in the IBP world. Um, so reconciliation reviews about filtering out the unimportant to leave the important so that the leadership team make decisions at the time they're required. Not every decision has to be made in the current month because we're looking out sort of four to 24 or four to 36 months out into the future. Out of the management business review, we then communicate our decisions back to the organization and the cycle starts again and it rolls month on month on month. So we go around those five meetings in the course of the 20 odd working days in the month. And we have the integrative reconciliation process running constantly, rebalancing the plans as changes occur and identifying gaps and working on closing those gaps using a cross-functional team. So where you're, when you start kind of inter interacting with customers, so what's kind of the entry level maturity you usually see and where can they end up after overseeable uh, project timeline? Yeah, so in the last 10 years, the adoption of SNOP and, and IBP has, has increased. So it's no longer just in the realm of the leading organizations. Most companies of any sort of medium to large size would have some type of sales and operations planning or integrated business planning process. So a lot of the time we're invited in because actually the organization is not getting the return on the time they're putting into the process. And that may be because actually the initial design wasn't effective or quite often we're seeing people as the problem. So one of the consequences of the pandemic is we certainly in this part of the world, we've seen an increase in turnover of key staff. In some instances, you know, we're seeing people start a project with us and half the project team might have been left, you may have left by the end of the project. That's the biggest issue we see with companies, the knowledge walks out the door. So we're all about ensuring that the client takes our knowledge of best practice that we've, you know, developed over 50 years and internalizes it so that when new people join the organization, they understand that integrated business planning is the process we have for running the medium to long-term plan. It's a, a monthly cadence. This is the role. This is the interaction you'll have with it. And we see a little disruption. The leading organizations are using the process 
to really operationalize strategy. So they're really pushing out to that 36-month rolling horizon. Quite often organizations tell us, yeah, we've got a rolling plan. It's 24 months or 36 months. But when we actually have a look, they spend most of their time talking about the next six months. And that doesn't buy you time. If you do IBP well, if I see the issue far enough out, I've got time. I see it coming towards me. I can do something about it. I can have plan B, plan C. We can get one ready to respond. We can do the fire drills if we want to. So when it does happen, we can really be effective in our response. If we're only looking six months out, generally we don't have time. Anything inside four months, this concept of the planning time fence, the cost of, of changing the plan just increases exponentially the closer we get to today. But that's why there's a big emphasis in uh, the IBP process. We think 70% of the time you spend in the process should be focused on months four to 24 because our options to cost effectively change the plan inside of four months are generally a lot less. Whereas outside of four months, I can do all sorts of things. The pandemic put some pressure on that as supply chain lead times pushed out. I had clients, for instance, who were bringing in white goods from China into Australia, what had typically been a three or four month lead time pushed out to a seven, eight month lead time. So it meant that the plan was being set further out, which meant they had less flexibility when it came to replanning. What they'd ordered, they'd ordered, that's what they were going to get. We have a saying at Oliver White, plan the sale and then sell the plan. Once we get into the near term, don't sell something we, we haven't planned for because we pro probably won't have it or for us to get it, it's going to cost a lot of money and we don't want to be putting white goods on aeroplanes. Most organizations have something they want to improve. We don't work with too many organizations now that are starting from scratch. How do you see the trend right now to bring in a lot of external unstructured data to have a visibility as to what's going on in the supply chain, what are the risks, what are the abilities, any impacts, you know, geopolitical crisis, weather events. I mean, there's a lot going on still also on the short-term horizon, obviously, where the effects are quite high these days. Do you see it worthwhile to bring that data in to have visibility and to at least grasp what the effect could be, even though maybe it's not a cost-effective way to replan in that horizon? Many companies cannot change their plan on short notice, right? So they do have some constraints also on the execution level here. But we do see that as one of the key asks we are seeing. We want to know what's going on. Is that something you see as well? So for me, it's all about context. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there talking. And it's interesting, the last couple of years, there's less talk of big data and more talk about AI and machine learning. I think that's ChatGPT maybe has done that for us. Our view on data is we've got to be really clear on the questions we want to ask and answer in using that data. So when I talk about context, it's really understanding our supply chain and where the risks are and where, well, if we get it wrong, that it's going to be significant, either financial cost of the organization or reputational cost of the organization. We may let key customers down. So lots of the clients we work with, I would rate their knowledge of their own supply chains as being quite poor. And, you know, one of the things IBP should give us in the supply planning step and the supply review is a view of the capacity plans and the capability plans of our key suppliers out across our 24 to 36 month rolling horizon. So we have to decide on the, who the key suppliers are. You go through that type of process and then we're understanding, okay, well, what do we need to be monitoring? So whilst COVID was big and in the memory, if I think back to the tsunami in Japan, I think there were only two factories at the time that made the pigment for black paint for the automotive industry. One of those was in the radiation zone and so we were you know 
hit by issues like that. Now, if you didn't know that you were sourcing from that geography, then you wouldn't know to go and then look for data that's going to tell you where there's interruption. So the context is important. Once you've got that, I think the data is super powerful, but it's got to be in the right context and we've got to understand the questions that we want to ask and then also be prepared to do something with the answers. So if you've got a leadership team that's just determined to manage on gut feel and uh, isn't interested in managing with facts and data, then the investment and you don't get the data for free and the insights for free, the investment goes to waste. So for us, it's the beginning and the end of that conversation. What questions do we want to ask? Are we happy to rely on the data-driven answers? That's actually very, very solid understanding of the supply chain is needed, right? That's one of the key things we are also seeing. And from technology perspective, what I'm always thinking, like, where's the key value add coming from these days? You mentioned uh, big data. And there's a lot of, obviously, ongoing on the artificial intelligence side. A lot of has already been put into the planning solutions to really support these planning processes. Gen AI is now the news topic, which probably will help also to explain complex uh, calculations in the future more. What I'm always interested in is also something where technology can uncover relationships, right? So that's one thing we are looking at quite strongly right now. So how do you uncover who your suppliers are, right? So you know you're the ones you're ordering from. And these might not be the ones, as you said, yeah. who are the two globally who have the black paint or the black pigment. Yeah? Uh, that might be your second, third, fourth tier supplier and uh, somewhere down the, the value chain. And you don't even know that you have an issue because of them, right? The bottlenecks are usually not in the first tier suppliers or many industries, at least they are not. So that's something I think we'll see a lot of potential where technology can really uncover that. So can really tell you based on relationships, based on document flows, what is actually your supply network? So who are your network suppliers yeah. in all the different tiers? And then it's really getting interesting because then you can get the unstructured data in and can really uncover risks and vulnerabilities through deep down into your supplier landscape, right? And I think to really provide oxygen to that. What we need is a change in how organizations view their upstream supply chains and how procurement works. So there was a lot of conversation in Australia about reshoring a lot of supply in response to the, the pandemic. And there still is. But for me, organizations need to look at total cost of acquisition or total cost of ownership as a driver rather than just purchase price to really then uncover the decisions that they need to make and then get the appropriate insights that the technology is able to bring. If we just look at everything being, you know, lowest cost in terms of, well, what I'm charged for it, that doesn't factor in any risk. And unfortunately, people have short memories. So this is about that trade-off between short-term profit and long-term risk. And back to the, the turnover of people, if you don't stand a job very long, then the chances of you getting caught out by another supply chain interruption might be less. So uh, there can be a bit of risk taken there as well. Stuart, a question regarding your survey. So in your survey, Technology Support Integrated Business Planning, a survey of senior executives from 2023, in which executives from various companies and industry participated. It says 92% of the respondents stated that real-time planning and modeling capability are important to them. What does it actually mean for an IBP system? And how do you see this topic of change management prioritizing that comes alongside any business transformation from 
uh, sales and operations planning and IBP. So I'd take the first question uh, initially. So that survey question was really born. We did an, an earlier survey during the pandemic right at the start, and we were asking organizations about scenario planning. And there were very few that said they could actually generate scenarios in minutes. A lot of the responses were it was taking days, if not weeks, heavily reliant on Excel spreadsheets. And they had to create the model and then have the model validated. And the world of them moved again by the time they, they created the scenario. Generally, when we're looking at scenario planning in an integrated business planning context, we want to understand the impact of timing changes. So if I do something earlier or we do something later, so that might be raw material arriving or a product launching, or we're looking at doing more or doing less. So what if our new product sells 150% of the launch plan? What if it sells 50% of the launch plan? So we want to understand the impact of those changes operationally and then be able to translate them into financial impact. So having a system that enables you to translate rapidly, and we're using the term now one press or one touch scenario planning, that's really important for organizations. It doesn't mean to say we have to make the decision right now, but the opportunity to deal with multiple futures around the areas of the plan that are going to impact us most if there's variation that is really important to organizations. The other thing is that we're around events. So what if there's a, a rise in excise? You know, we work with a lot of organizations where excise is applied to their product, alcohol, for instance. What if the excise is higher than forecasted? What, what impact will that have? And those things are massive. So we don't want a scenario plan for everything. It's back to the 20% that drives the 80%. So if we understand the key drivers for our business, having that scenario planning capability is important there. I think your second question was around change and the single biggest factor that contributes to integrated business planning deployments failing is people and in particular leadership. So the alarm bells ring for me if I engage with a managing director who says, I really want to do integrated business planning. There's the team, go and do it with them and come back and tell me when it's done. Because integrated business planning is a process for the leadership. They should own the plan at that level in the business. So they need to use the process. They need to sponsor the process. That management business review meeting that I talked about, that's the, the chief executive or the managing director's meeting. The reconciliation review will often be chaired by the uh, CFO because we're looking at the joined up whole of business plan sort of rough cut P&L projections. The portfolio management review or product management review, we alternatively call it, that's typically chaired by the marketing director or technology director, depending on the type of organization. Demand review chaired by the sales director, supply by the supply chain or operations director. These are the roles in the organization that are accountable for the plans that we're checking in on. So they can't just push it down on the middle management layer. So what's really important is they create the vision for IBP within their organization. You know, we like to help them create an elevator conversation, which you know, very quickly, if we were going up eight floors in the elevator, they could explain why do we need to do something different? And what's our vision, what life will be like when IBP is effective on our organization and how are we going to get there? From that point, then we need to understand who actually is going to be impacted by changing the way you do things around here. And you know, we often hear that, oh, but you don't understand, Stuart, the impact of change will be so big. And we go, well, tell me which roles are actually affected. And let's boil it down to that. And let's create an engagement plan for those roles. So how are they going to be involved? Are they going to be involved in the design? Now, we believe that 
if you get your people involved in designing the processes that, that they're going to use, that creates ownership. They're far more likely to stick with the process once the consultant walks out the door rather than if they're just told to do it. Quite often we see people sort of coming up and oh, the consultants have gone, I'll go back to using my spreadsheet. So that generally doesn't work. We need to have the engagement and then we need to learn by doing, right? We need to celebrate success. We need to communicate. We need to keep critiquing how we're going and, you know, have a standard in mind. And, you know, Oliver White, we call it class A. We've created these benchmarks for excellence and we have it around many planning process, but in particular, we have it for integrated business planning, having that reference point to come back to, and then making sure that you've actually embedded the process in people's position descriptions. And we've got policy and procedure, not big, thick books of policy and procedure because people won't read them, but there's enough there so people understand how they should do things. If it's not in a, someone's position description, there's no accountability mechanism. So I can't actually hold someone to account for performing the role or not. We see a lot of that when we go into factories, standard operating procedures, everyone's really clear, safety is important. We tend to see less of it around the management processes and organizations. We want pragmatic formality. If you have that, if you have a North Star to aim for, class A, if you have an educated workforce and a leadership that are committed to the process, there'll be no stopping you from an IBP perspective. If one of those elements isn't in place, there's a risk to successful change and transformation. Yeah. Pragmatic formality, that's a good word here. But it's also something we are seeing. So we we are usually, as a software vendor, we are brought in when there is a need for change also, right? And sometimes it has not yet been discussed how such a process should look like and how the company should run in the future. We do see that if there is a senior management sponsor there who's really actively also involved and you know driving the team and actually having an engaged team who's behind this whole change has quite a high success rate. So it's really not a technology change, digital transformation story when it comes to integrated business planning. It's really defining first how you want to run and then the technology follows that lead and companies who have yeah. gone through the unhappy phase of arguing and defining how they actually want to work together in future have in the long term really the higher success rates here. And one build, I think, for the technology vendors If you think about integrated business planning, it's a monthly planning cycle. So we only do it 12 times a year. It's hard to get good at something, you know, if you're doing it that infrequently. So usually 12 cycles from when we start, we've pushed the planning horizon out effectively. People are working together. The information is flowing. We're generating scenarios. We're now maybe starting to pull the strategic plan in. What I, I'm quite excited about is the opportunity that the technology can give us to actually create practice like a sports team. So in business, we're always playing, right? We might get sent on one training course a year, but the rest of the time it's play, 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 play. A sports team, a soccer team, for instance, they'll train on a Monday, they'll train on a Tuesday, they might play on a Wednesday, they'll probably have Thursday off, they'll do a bit of light training on a Friday, then they'll play on a Saturday and maybe rest again on a Sunday. They train a lot more. So being able to utilize technology to create the environment for organizations to play at integrated business planning, I believe has real potential for accelerating time to value. That's true. When we are looking at trends and technologies, so what's for you the next big thing coming up? Oh, that's a good question. I think the area that from a systems perspective that's underdone is around that portfolio management area. So with demand and supply, You know, your organization is very steeped in the process there, but 
if I look at the systems that are out there and the integration with demand and supply, there's not too much in the portfolio area. And we know that process drives growth. We know that we can get visualizations if we can turn data into information and have people absorb the information quickly. That's important. So more generally, continuing the trend of visualization, a picture's worth a thousand words. A picture with a headline means that I can guide the reader and my chart, my histogram, whatever it is, support the headline on the slide. If you think about the context of IBP, I get to a management business review. I really want to get my information across quickly and then set that meeting up for making decisions. So then we can communicate those back to the execution mechanism in the business. So visualization is important. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more around AI. I'm still at the stage though that it feels a little bit like where we were with optimizers 20 years ago. Everyone's very excited about optimizers, but they weren't using core ERP. I think we've got some way to go from the perspective of people understanding the questions they want to ask and answer. And, and that comes down to your literacy about what drives your business. True, yeah. And I also think that technology like AI, for example, it, there needs to be a business value behind it. It's just for the sake of having AI somewhere in the enterprise, it really doesn't make sense. But there are so many interesting use cases out there that really drive value, that drive, for example, forecast accuracy, that drive also the accuracy of an alert, for example, make it relevant for the user to explain what an optimizer has been doing. That's kind of where Gen AI comes into play. That's really something where it's not only helpful, but it really drives value, especially when you're saying there's a lot of turnover in users. So they are not accustomed maybe to the optimization a company is doing. So having something to explain to them why the result looks like in a certain way and build trust here is probably one of the key next steps that we are seeing also from the technology side of things to help companies really drive planning, even though there is a lot of change going on in the user base, but then also on the outside world with suppliers, with a lot of volatility and variability out there. So that's one of the key enablers and technologies we will see a lot of value being generated from also, probably very short term. I think the other thing, we think about supply chains. So there are a few companies that are big enough to really own and control their supply chain. Most organizations are a part of a supply chain. So one of the barriers we see is connectivity. So if I've got, you know, four different ERPs, if I've got different systems, it might even be just be Excel that's enabling IBP processes in the constituent parts of the supply chain, doing the work around connectivity. And, and what I'm excited about is we, we seem to be operating in an ever increasingly connective environment. The connectors work. So being able to move the data and the information between the systems to make it really usable. And that's important. If you own the whole thing, well, it's easy to set up. Most organizations aren't that big. So I think that's going to be a trend going forward as well. True. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I just can listen to both of you like for ages, but analyze you, believe it or not, we are already coming to the end of this podcast. And as the title is the future of supply chain. So if you had to summarize in a sentence or two, what is the future of supply chain? What, what is the future of supply chain? I think it's a constant or the knowledge that there is more and more change coming into your company and that having robust processes set up coupled with newest technologies really gives you the competitive advantage your company might need in an ever-changing and ever-challenging market. And Stuart, what is the future of supply chain for you? 
So for me, there's two things. One is constant simplification. So I think what we've seen and what's starting to unravel a little bit now because the pandemic called it out was increasing complexity, global supply chains really stretched around the world, and then multiple channels to market with lots of fast moving elements. Where technology can help us is around dealing with that complexity. But if we think about segmentation and aligning our capabilities around the value that our different segments of customers are looking for, I think the leading organizations will carry on doing that really effectively. The other thing I think we're going to see is increasingly the linkage through technology between day-to-day, hour-to-hour execution, all the way up to strategy mm-hmm. and being able to use that technology stack to really link those things together where it's important. So monitoring execution of strategy. You know, Most strategy doesn't get deployed because organizations don't spend enough time looking at it. They're not incentivized to spend time on it. They haven't budgeted for it. Those things get in the way. So being able to operationalize strategy, making sure we've got the right people to do it, that we've managed trade-offs between the operating plan and the strategic plan and using technology to enable that. Again, that's I think that's going to be important going forward. And we're already seeing technology increasingly supporting mm-hmm. that. Unfortunately, though, there'll be some people that will still lag. I've been doing this long enough now. And there's always a continuum of the leaders and they'll be doing amazing things as they are. But, you know, IBP's been around for 40 years. We still work with organizations that struggle with that basic demand supply mm-hmm. balance. They're not using their operational plan to drive the financial plan. That's done standalone. The portfolio planning seems to be done separately. They're, they're still very disparate. So I, I think the risk is that the gap between the leaders and the, the laggards is going to increase. So I know which end I, I'd want to be on. I want to be up there leading. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Thank you so much, Stuart and Honor. It's really great to have you both on this podcast episode. And thank you all for listening. Please mark us as a favorite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. Until next time, from Stuart, Anna and I, thank you for discussing the future supply chain.